A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme and happy St. Bridget's uh, Day, uh, January finally behind us. And uh, St. Bridget, who's known her values and her passions are something, God, we could really do with uh, today, 1,500 years after her death, because, of course, St. Bridget was a renowned peacemaker and she was also known as the protector of nature. We could do with her peacemaking skills uh, with what's going on worldwide and certainly we could do do with her uh, to protect uh, the our, our nature and our environment and I take it I'm assuming a lot of the primary schools do they still get involved with the making of the St Bridget's Day crosses there's something lovely about those crosses and it's lovely to see children come out of school with the St Bridget's Day uh, cross and I know that around the country there's a lot of celebrations uh, going on and obviously various parts of the country will always celebrate St Bridget because even though I know her birthplace is uh, disputed uh, but various parts of the country always claim her but I was even just listening when the death notices were on there uh, somebody has been laid to rest at St Bridget's Cemetery so there's a lot of uh, St Bridget's traditions here as well uh, in Cork 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls uh, this morning and I have to say it really is shocking and alarming to hear of the case uh, coming out of Kerry involving secondary school students who've been caught up and identified as getting involved in money uh, laundering. Now, the name of the criminal gang that are using young people, teenagers and college uh, students are the Black Axe Crime Network. So the Gardaí put in place what they called Operation Mullet and they've been investigating this money laundering. 1.3 million euro passed through accounts in uh, County Kerry. Now it has led to some 32 prosecutions. Some of the young people were as young as 16 who ended up being identified as money mules. Now this Black Axe criminal organisation is now believed to be deeply embedded in the country. Uh, there was a time when that this type of criminal organisation wouldn't have moved beyond Dublin. They might have gone to some of the larger cities, but they certainly wouldn't have moved ar- around uh, the country. But we're now hearing, according to law enforcement sources, that the situation that's been discovered in County Kerry is only the tip of the iceberg. And law enforcement sources now believe that it is rampant in rural Ireland. Now, up to 60 suspected money mules have been identified. This 
is just in the Kerry investigation and they range in age. The youngest was uh, 16, but they range in age from 16 to 20. So you're talking about secondary school students up to first, second year in college. Officers from the Garda National Economic Crime Bureau have identified significant black axe networks and they're identifying them now in several rural uh, locations. Uh, it's everywhere, is what they're saying. It's as simple as that. It literally is all over the country. Now, a criminal based in southwest Dublin, he's suspected of being the mastermind. And the, it was this guy who left dozens of teenagers then in trouble with the law when they were caught out as being the money mules. The teens got into trouble after allowing their bank accounts to be controlled by a third party, i.e. this criminal based in southwest Dublin. They, the the young people themselves, would have had no knowledge of the mastermind's existence. The man is suspected of being one of the main money mule herders operating in Ireland. And that means he is suspected. He recruits the money mule. He manages the bank accounts, but he's doing it on behalf of international gangs. So it really is quite, it's not just a problem here in Ireland. It's the proceeds of international uh, crime. They're taking advantage, according to Gardaí, of secondary school pupils as well as third level students. As part of the wider Garda investigation, they've established that the gang have been targeting juveniles and adult teenagers in educational settings. They're basically kids. Kids are financially short of disposable money. They might have not a part-time job, but they don't have a lot of disposable cash. So they reckon that they're easy to be manipulated and then they allow their bank accounts to be taken over, not really realising that they're doing anything wrong. They just think they're earning a few extra euro for themselves every week. But but of course, the consequences of this are massive for the young people in County Kerry. The teenagers who were targeted were just ordinary students. They never had any links at all to crime. Their families had never had any criminal uh, connections. And you can imagine for the parents getting a knock on the door from not just the local Gardaí, but from the Garda National Economic Pri- Crime Bureau to say, we need to talk to you about your son or uh, daughter. Now, given the varying sums involved and the number of transactions that ran through the accounts, each case seemingly was different. Some had several transactions and some were told had significant sums of money coming through their accounts. A number of the cases were dealt with by the juvenile liaison system. Others were just given adult cautions. But some of them were actually convicted at the district court or the circuit court in Tralee. I suppose it's, it depended on the amount of money that went through some of these accounts. We're not just talking about hundreds. We're talking about many thousands and tens of thousands of euro in some cases. Yesterday it was revealed that 10 million euro was laundered through bank accounts which were controlled by this one suspect who by the way has been brought into uh, custody for uh, questioning. He's a 41 year old and uh, the the, uh, Garda Criminal, the, the Garda National Economic Bureau have searched uh, a location in North Leinster on uh, Monday and he has been uh, since uh, arrested. And, and, and of course, some 
of that the money that would have gone through these accounts would also be money that has been scammed out of people by various investment scams and you know scams people purporting to be from your bank and actually there's a separate report out that I know I was starting to jump on the office where we're going to try and, and do a follow up on uh, showing uh, that the it's the Banking Federation has come out and said it's people in their 50s are most likely to be targeted by the scams and there's a lot of investment scams particularly people say who are retiring and they get a lump sum and they decide that they'll invest it for their future and not realising that they're investing it in a complete and utter scam and of course they lose all of their money but parents really need to talk to their young people about the dangers of this money mules I mean they, they as I say the young person themselves obviously are not aware of the criminal gangs that they're involved with or wouldn't be aware that there's, you know, international criminal gangs uh, involved and they just see it as an easy way of making money. But the consequences it can have and the impact that it can have on their young lives. So you need to talk to your young people about money mules. 0818103103. Can I just stay on banking for a moment? Because we had a call in yesterday from a listener who was seeing, was it just herself or was there any others who were having problems getting a new checkbook from AIB. And uh, the listener who contacted us, Marie, yesterday said she's been trying since the 20th of December with no luck. And we just were trying to see, was it just an isolated case for Marie? But then we subsequently heard from other listeners, including one man who, who, who is in the agriculture sector. And he says, you have to have a checkbook. You can't deal in, in cash. You don't want to have large sums of cash at home. He's also waiting on, on his uh, checkbook. He ended up having to drive to the nearest town then to get the money that he needed to pay somebody who he would have paid with with his checkbook if he'd had his checkbook. Anyway, we got on to AIB just to find out what's going on. Is it just a problem here in uh, Cork? Is it an isolated problem? And they say that AIB has engaged a new supplier for their checks and lodgement books. That was after their previous supplier recently went into administration. Some customers, they say, may experience a temporary delay in the issuing of their cheque and lodgement books and obviously they're apologising for any inconvenience caused. They do expect to be back to normal service shortly. They do say in the meantime, customers have been advised there are alternative payment options uh, available. There's all the online uh, channels. They offer various payment options. There's your debit and your credit cards. And of course, you can customers can also make payments by going into any branch and hopefully they'll find a human being in any of the branches. They can do it through a thing called pay Link Euro products, and they also uh, gave us a number that customers can contact uh, if they're looking for support, particularly with alternative methods of payments during this interim period while you're waiting for your checkbook. And that's an 0818 number 303034. And thank you to AIB. In fairness, that was a pretty prompt response from them. I mentioned it's St. Bridget's Day. Eileen and Bandon says you can pick up St. Bridget's crosses in many shops in Bandon this morning. Many of them just asked for a donation for charities. Isn't that a lovely idea? That's terrific. I wonder who's making those St. Bridget's crosses, whoever's doing it. Well done. Uh, Good morning and happy St. Bridget's Day. Uh, Could you wish our lovely neighbour, Bridgie Murphy Buckley, uh, Bridget Murphy, sorry, of Buckley Terrace in Drumcolor. Her wait for this, uh, Bridgie, who obviously was christened Bridget because her birthday is today, and she was born on St Bridget's Day. On St Bridget's Day, when one 
100 years ago in 1924 she is celebrating her 100th birthday today all the neighbours in the terrace are looking forward to celebrating with her uh, later oh there'll be a mad hoodie going on in Buckley Terrace in uh, drum colour happy birthday to Bridgie Murphy hope you have a lovely lovely day on the checkbook uh, issue hi Patricia I had the very same problem with the checkbooks I'm assuming it's the checkbooks from AIB they're now coming from the UK yeah I mean that's what AIB explained to us. They did have a previous supplier. They went into administration. I'm assuming there's not a lot of people using checks uh, anymore but as one listener yesterday in the agriculture sector said, if you're operating in the agriculture sector, you have to have a checkbook and there's a number of other businesses will say as well, there are still needs need for. I can't tell you when I last wrote a check but there are businesses that still uh, need to and people who need to use uh, checkbooks. So it looks like the new supplier is somewhere in, in the UK. Now AIB say that they should be back to normal and back to normal uh, shortly. And John in Cove says, Patricia, today of course is the day, 1st of February, the introduction of the plastic bottle and can tax. This is the deposit and return. John in Cork says, is this not a good opportunity for charities to make a little bit of extra cash? Cities and towns could have some kind of collection bins on the street where people could deposit their plastic bottles or cans that they paid a deposit on. But, as John says, if they're on a night out, they're hardly going to carry the empty can or the empty bottle back home. The money made from the bins could then be divided among various charities in the town. I think that is a fantastic idea, John. And I think that is one we're going to start seeing and hearing a lot more about. I think charities will realise there's money to be made on the deposit and return scheme. And John is right. If you are out somewhere and you just buy, you know, you're thirsty, you get a bottle of water, you get a can or whatever it is, you know, how many people are going to be carrying the empty one back home with them? Different if you're in the car and you just pop it back into the car. But if you're out and about in a walk and late at night is, is a good example as well. So, yeah, great suggestion, John. Uh, watch this space. I'm, I'm, would, I wouldn't be surprised if charities are already working on it. Yesterday we were contacted by a listener who had received a letter from Cork County Council asking them to provide receipts for their waste disposal and failure to respond would result in a fine of €75 Euro to find out what's going on. I'm joined by uh, Fomoy Fine Gael Councillor Noel McCarthy. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, this is all part of the council's effort to try to track down people who are illegally dumping their rubbish. Isn't that, isn't that what these letters are all about? That's exactly what it is. We've been discussing this for the last 12 months or more and we're informed at an order meeting two weeks ago that this would be the, uh, going forward. People would receive letters to ask them to prove that they have a service in place if they got a complaint or the council got a complaint about illegal dumping and so on, that they would have proved within 14 days if they got the letter that they have a service in place and just to provide receipts. And if they have a service in place, there is no problem whatsoever. But as you can imagine, Patricia, there was an awful lot of uh, illegal dumping going on. It's not fair to, to, to people that when you drive and you see it dumped at the side of the road or in our lovely wooded areas when you go for a walk. And they're just trying to stamp it out, which I fully support. Yeah, and householders that have a bin collection have absolutely nothing to worry about because they pay their bins uh, monthly or, or, or annually. But... What do those who don't have a curbside collection, what, what do they need to do? 
what they need to do is obviously get onto one of the service providers because if they haven't got a refuge collection in place, it's not fair to the neighbours. Sometimes they leave the rubbish, which I said on your programme not long ago, that they leave the rubbish built up inside in their back gardens and in the fine weather it causes smells and flies and so on. And it's not fair. So all they need to do is put a service in place or if they do bring it to a Brin Bank or council site, that they have the receipts to prove it that they are dumping it in the right way. That's all they need to do. But if I, I, I really would encourage people, if they haven't got a service in place, that they need to do the right thing and put one in place. Yeah, it's because there important. are, now it will be a small proportion, there are a small proportion of people who are really, really good at uh, recycling everything and composting and they have very little waste left at the end. But that waste they'll bring to someplace like the Civic Community Site, where you will be issued with a receipt. Isn't that the case? And that's right. And that's and that's all we're asking people to do. If they are doing that and they're quite entitled to do it and they are doing the right thing, it's just keep your receipts. Yeah, prove so it. If the prove counts, what you're doing. Exactly, Patricia. And you've nothing to worry about. That's what I want to uh, tell people this morning. If you are doing the right thing, you have nothing to worry about. All the council are trying to do is make sure that you are, people are, if, if you haven't got a service in place and you're doing an alternative way of doing it, it's just be able to prove it. And that's all they want. And it's also, I take it, a way to cut down on the man with the van who calls and says he's legitimate and that he's going to dump your goods responsibly and then of course he doesn't do it. And and that's what I said as well before. They, like, people come along, they'll say, oh, we'll get rid of that rubbish for a cert- for a fee but you don't know where that, per- if you don't know where that person is putting it or if he's dumping it legal, well then you're as part of responsible for that person doing the wrong thing as he is. So we want to cut this out and I think the council are right. Both I and my colleagues have been looking for this for a, a bit period of time now to just get people to have a proper service in place and to cut out all this illegal dumping. There's nothing worse than driving on our roads, Patricia, as you know yourself, or as I said, walking in the lovely uh, wooded areas and seeing rubbish just thrown there. And then you get And is it, is, is, is it household rubbish? I mean, is there evidence that there's an increase in people dumping household ru- rubbish? Oh, without a doubt, Patricia, there is. And, and I know that the, the, the officers go through and see can they find proof who it is, but some people are, would be very smart and not leave any evidence there to see who it is. But then it goes back to the problem as well. When we do get a black spot and people ring in, it's not fair to people living in these areas or living close by, we'd ring the council and they would collect them. But that goes back to a thing I always say. When people see this being collected, should they dump there again? I know. And we want to stamp this all out and get rid of all these black spots. And and people need to be responsible. And I have no fear in saying this this morning. You need to be named and shamed if you're not doing the right thing. Patricia. Yeah, and, and there's a cost to the council to have to go out and clear up those rubbish. Yeah, they, 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 have, they have trucks on the road that especially go out. I think there's one, if not two, in our area that go out constantly picking, cleaning up after people dumping illegal, collecting the rubbish, have to dispose of it. And that's a huge cost every year, which is not fair to the council or anyone doing that. It's totally un- totally wrong. And will prosecuting people who can't prove how they dispose of their rubbish, is that a kind of a last resort for the council, do you think? Without a doubt. The council don't want to to, to fine anyone or bring anyone to a court. But uh, if you can prove or if you haven't got the service in place, 
I'd appeal to people you know, to put it in place, do the right thing like everyone else is doing. It's only a small minority are doing this. But the council, the last thing they want to do is, is to, to find people. But if they're not constantly doing it, I, as I said, name and shame, I think, is the only way that people will see that the council are taking this very, very seriously. OK, a, a listener who doesn't want her name called out, which is fine, says she sees her neighbour putting rubbish in other people's bins at night. It's so unfair for, on those of us who pay for our bin collection. And there's somebody who doesn't have a bin. I mean, that's really that's a, an unfair thing to do to your neighbours. It's not fair, Patricia, and people need to take that responsibility. And like, as I said, dump and leaving a, a amount of rubbish in your back garden for a period of time is wrong as well. So... They need to have a service. I often get complaints from people saying that they're that neighbours and they don't want to follow up with their neighbour. I know, I know. And they want just to say, just to do the right thing. And and as I said, most of the people do. We all have a service in place. There's great providers out there now, and and it's a, a very good collection service. So there's no excuse now not to have the right thing in place. What happens, says the listener, what happens to a person that shares a bin with another family member and it's just one household is paying the bin charges, the other just contributes towards the bin? They have a shared bin. And that's a very good question. I think I think maybe a letter or or proof of receipts that or, or people that the person that is paying is there and a letter from that person saying, look, a family member shares a bin with me. I think the council would accept that. I have no doubt about that. If that's the way it is done. Okay. And uh, and did I also read the council's employing more personnel to target farmers who cause pollution? I mean, I take it this is about protecting human drinking water, is it? That's exactly what that is. And they are, again, that's important as well because there's been a lot of complaints over the years about the quality of water. So they want to get this right again. But again, if everyone is doing the right thing, farmers included, which most are, there's no doubt about that. Well, I think no one is anything to fear. But just again, to do the right thing here, Patricia. Okay. So, but your main message is these letters are starting to go out and, and, and I don't know how they're selecting who who's getting the letters. Have you any indication of how, is, is it just a random no, selection? We, I think if someone makes a complaint, Patricia, we, we wouldn't be, uh, you know, it wouldn't be all remiss about individual cases and I couldn't comment on them. But all I know is that if there's someone makes a complaint or if they have a concern in a certain area, and that's not saying that the person is doing anything wrong, because I say if they have the receipts and they have the proof, well, then there's no bother. There won't be a problem. But... If a complaint is made, obviously the council have to follow up and try to find where the, who's, the, the who's problem is arising the rubbish. from. Yeah, who's so, dumping it, yeah. yeah. And then maybe if someone has the receipts and maybe someone might get a letter that is doing the right thing and that, and, and like, that will be cleared up straight away well, then and I'm sure no, the council will say to them. Well, then you've absolutely nothing to worry about. If you're doing the right thing and you get one of these letters, it's very easy. I mean, if, if I got one of these letters, I have... I'll openly say it, I've got Country Clean who, who call my four wheelie bins very, and it's a really efficient service I have to say um, but I mean if I got one of those letters in the morning I would have no problem showing how my rubbish is disposed of and, and the majority of people are like that And I agree and I'm a Country Clean myself who are fantastic and all the other providers that call to work my state where I live but if you have a service in place you've nothing to worry about just if you get a letter send a proof to the council or ring them up and say listen I have a thing in place here's my proof that's no bother whatsoever that's that'll be dealt with there and then but if the, again if a person hasn't they have 14 days even if they get a service in place and then in 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 between that time they have nothing to worry about either okay. but they must put the right thing in place it's not fair to your neighbor it's not fair to the people that 
go to the to the wooded areas or to the Glen Board alongside of me here that go for a lovely walk. And to see this rubbish down, it upsets an awful lot of people. OK, here's uh, here's um, one of your uh, uh, fellow councillors, Karen Coakley, who said, Good morning, Patricia. Just following on your conversation on the council, contacting people about household rubbish. I bought a motion before the council in June of last year asking that householders not availing of a refuse collection service must be questioned as to where they dispose of their rubbish. We are undermining the work of local communities and tidy towns groups who have invested so much time and effort in cleaning up after others who have absolutely no morals about dumping. Why should these people have to pick up after somebody else? I'm delighted to see the council are finally tackling this uh, issue. So I take it unanimous, thank you for that Karen, I take it unanimous support across the, ca- across the councillors and Noel on this one. A hundred percent. And Karen is dead right. I'm involved in the, I'm chairman of for my tidy towns here. And there's nothing worse than our members seeing this. And they're always coming every year. It's a problem, a problem. And Karen is dead right. We, we make no apologies for doing the right thing in this case. Okay. Because that's what it is. Okay. And just very finally, before I let you go, it would be remiss of me not to mention Abbeville uh, B&B. The international protection, uh, any international protection applicants moved in there or what's happening? No, not yet. It's still, it's there. There's no one moved in yet, Patricia. It's still an ongoing concern. And people are still people are still protesting outside. Oh, they are, they are, they are. They're still protesting, and they have so. And there's genuine concerns. There, it's such like in my years. I'm nearly 15 years of council now. It's really up most upsetting thing in Tramway at the moment. We'd love to, like, I still think that the 56 is too many. That was my personal opinion at the time, and it still is. And I think it just needs to be looked at again. So, really so, what, so what will happen if they do decide to move in the applicants? Will you as a councillor be notified and told they're moving in next Monday or they'll be moving in at the end of the week? Do you get that kind of information? Well, the last information we got was just before Christmas, Patricia, to say that they were coming within the week. No, we have no correspondence since, but they haven't come, as I said. So obviously there, there, there's problems there, but we, we're not, we haven't been told anything. We've got no other um, communication on it. We got no other emails about it. Only the last one to say that they were coming in the week and they haven't come. And is, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that work had to go on in order to accommodate that number of people. Has that work been completed? Yes, and they're still... There's still people working in there. I can see, uh, anytime I pass, there's cars outside. Or if I was down there, I see them. But I, I, I believe, and I, I haven't been in there now, Patricia. So I, I, but I believe most of the work is done. That's what I'm hearing. All right, but, so, but but nothing from the Department of Integration. Nothing from the department. Now we, I was one of the five councils that wrote to the Roger O'Gorman, the minister, to know would he reconsider the uh, allocation that he is allocated to this to this uh, to Abbeville and we haven't even got a response to that not even a response not not even a I acknowledge your email or your nothing they acknowledge that they got it they acknowledge that they're, no they're, they're looking into it but but nothing back concrete to say yes that they're going to that they're going to reduce it or they're going to leave it is we got nothing whatsoever Nothing. Incredible, incredible, and they're talking about keep, keeping lines like, of communication we, uh, going with communities. Would People would say to us as public representatives in the area, and they've said it to be both I and my colleagues, that they think we know, but we don't. And sometimes people find that hard to believe. 
and that's what the biggest problem we have here. Lack of communication. I think one of my counsellors was on lately, which he, my colleagues saying that the lack of communication is one we must lack with, not just for Formoy, but going forward. Yeah, we, we need forward. we need to learn from from we need to learn lessons from when we get the communication wrong. Uh, what can happen? Okay, listen. No, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, thanks for joining us on Thank the program. Thank you for having me on, Patricia. Good Thank morning, you very to you. much. Bye bye. That is uh, from Oi-based uh, Fine Gael councillor Noel uh, McCarthy. Just on those letters that have been sent out by. Uh, Cork County Council asking people to provide evidence of how they dispose of their household rubbish. 0818 103 103. Will it help to stop the dis- people? There's nothing worse than coming across bag loads, black bag loads of rubbish. I know uh, Christmas week there was uh, in Butterfront, it must have been a trailer load of domestic rubbish was just dumped, of which the council then had to go out and clean it up. And that's at the end of the day. It's the council's doing it, it's taxpayers' money. So you were you and I end up paying to have that rubbish cleared up by somebody just being totally irresponsible and people not um, actually getting their own uh, bin collection service uh, to their homes. C103. Helping Irish Hosts is a not-for-profit organisation which connects refugees with host families and goes on to offer them support. Yesterday the organisation were in Leinster House to brief politicians on hosting and discuss a recent survey that they conducted. Angie Goff is CEO of Helping Irish Hands and she joins me and in a moment I'll be speaking with uh, Karen O'Donoghue who has uh, hosted Ukrainian families here in Cork but Angie joins me first. Good morning to you Angie. Good morning Patricia. Now, Thanks for um, having us. Um, you're very welcome. Roughly how many Ukrainian refugees are living with host families in this country? Well there's over 25,000. Wow. Uh, yep living with over 10,000 families. I do have an exact figure but even in Cork Patricia, 16% of Ukrainians who are in Cork of display of people benefiting from temporary protection who are living in Cork are living with 776 host families. Now, they wouldn't all be in a shared family situation, yeah. but that's how many people, like, it's brilliant that that many households in Cork have made themselves available to, to, to step up and do this. Opened up their homes and their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> and and how and how are how are people matched up? How how does that process work? So, well, they come to us or to the Irish Red Cross and we via uh, the register of pledges and we have conversations with people about their expectations around what it is they they think is involved in hosting, like really frank conversations about what it means to have somebody move into your home. Um and on the other side we're also talking to Ukrainian guests who are seeking accommodation with us. We have a long list. Um, but but hosting is not for everyone. It's a very specific two-way commitment that people make to each other. A little bit different when somebody's moving into a property that's, uh, that's what we call self-contained, where mm. they're not sharing with the family. But as you can imagine, like opening up your home to a stranger and, and as a stranger moving into a stranger's home, that's a big commitment that people are making. And so we want, so we help people to set out boundaries very clearly from the beginning, so that we know that the relate that the arrangement has the best chances of success. You know, for a long period of time, because you want to give somebody a, a, a six to twelve month window in which they can find their feet and figure out their own next step. Yeah, and and feel secure. You know, thinking about where some of these uh, people have have come from, and and you've done a quite quite a detailed survey. So, so overall, looking at your survey re- results, has it been a very positive experience for the majority of those involved? 
I mean, even we were surprised with the results of the survey. Like we sent it out to over 8,000 hosts. 1,400 of them responded. I think the sample size we used in the end was 1,200. And 92% of those people said that they had had a positive hosting experience. Even when it had challenges, like even when it gets annoying and you're going to speak to Karen, who's like a super host down in Cork. She's hosted many families uh, out in rural Cork. She's been amazing. Um, but even when it's bad, when, when it, not when it's bad, but even when it's tough, it's still people, what it indicates to us is that people don't regret doing it. That's brilliant. So, that is yeah. brilliant. That is brilliant. You yeah. mentioned. And when you think 74% of people would recommend it to somebody else heartily, only 2% wouldn't recommend it. That's, so that's proof enough. It's that's, really good thing that's to proof do. enough. Yeah. You mentioned Karen O'Donoghue, uh, who is a Cork based uh, host. She's on the uh, other line. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Patricia. Hello, Angie. And now, uh, Karen, when and why did you decide to host Ukrainians? We, as a family, decided to host um, very much from the start of the war, as soon as we saw the footage and the coverage of tens of thousands of, at that time, predominantly women and children, um, just, you know, dragging what they could behind them to leave homes and families and jobs and lives and teddies and playgrounds and playdates and birthday parties and all the normal life stuff behind them. Um, to face the unknown, we just knew we had to take action. And at that point in time, um, no more than Angie, we were just sitting around going, what What can we do? You know, and, and my husband and I are big believers in in the statement that everybody can do something. And so we just were like, we have space, we have beds, we have friends, we have a network, we can get jackets and coats and duvets and, you know, whatever it is that's needed to, to support and welcome these people. So we immediately started to connect with Ukrainians independently of um, helping Irish hosts who at that time were just starting to gather and compile their incredible resources. So we were able to connect in with people uh ourselves through one Ukrainian woman living in Yol and it just went from there and so we've hosted as Andy said multiple families um, both in our own home in East Cork but my husband and I are very privileged to have between us three properties believe it or not um, our home in Cork our family home in Cork we have a little teeny cottage in Monmahan in County Waterford and then when I finally married him and dragged him to Cork, then his house in Dublin <laughs> became available. And so we've been able to support multiple families, most of whom are, are interconnected with each other, if you know what I mean, Yeah. Um, in those three properties. And again, like the other people that have answered that survey, um, it has been, for the most part, incredibly positive. It is one. 100% the right thing to have done and we will continue to do so as long as we possibly can. But it has only been possible because of helping Irish hosts to support available the groups where you can go and share in a non-judgmental space and have the rant. It's a little bit like being a new mother where, you know, you, you go past the smiling photos on Instagram of me and my baby, and then you go to mother and parents group and go, oh my God, I hate This is hell, yeah. You do need to have the rant, rant for sure. Langu- language barrier, Karen. How do you get over that? 
Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting one. And, and again, I, I say that, and it's such a word, talking about language, I'm finding it difficult to find the right word. We have been lucky, and there's nothing lucky about the situation, but we have been fortunate in that for most of the people that have been living in our homes, they have all had um, a really, really good standard of English. Right. Um, for, and that makes a massive difference. Then we have had guests who um, have very little English, but who are actively trying to learn, and that in itself is amazing, and you can see how that could get um, better and better. And then for sure there has been a challenge around communication with one of our guests who, who just isn't in a position to do it. And so it's quite a marked difference in terms of how those relationships are built, how easily those different people have integrated, how they've progressed on, either from hosted accommodation into their own accommodation or job, um, et cetera, et cetera. The language is, is a massive one. So however challenging it must be for us, um, you know, to have the conversations that are at times really quite brutal, like you all need to have a chat about the amount of energy that's being used, you know, look at the electricity bills, the showers need to be cut down, you know, yeah, really yeah. basic ones. Yeah, yeah. As difficult as they are to have with people in different languages, can you imagine what it must be like for our Ukrainian friends here? Yeah. I mean, I often think about that. You know, when we all, you know, go on our holidays, you know, people go abroad on their holidays and you have a bit of giggle of having to try and remember your French or, you know, mm. whatever um, on for two weeks. But imagine trying to come over to Ireland having left everyone and everything behind in a state of total trauma to rebuild your life with no English, none whatsoever. And 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 as well, very conscious that some of them, God, God knows what some of them had witnessed uh, before they left uh, Ukraine. But of course, for the majority, uh, Karen, they're leaving family members behind, and that must be very, very difficult. I mean, horrendous. I mean, we we have sat around our kitchen tables with all our beautiful friends, and we have cried at um, injuries and deaths that have happened at home. We have cried when birthdays and anniversaries have rolled round and they can't be there to celebrate with family members. We have had periods of days and nights in like abject terror because there's no communication. Wondering what if. And, you know, this is the truth of refugees. And I I use that word because that's the official term, I suppose, of who and what we're talking about. But these are people. Like, these are moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and nanas and papas and little ones and teenagers. You know, like, these are people who have had to leave everything in the most horrific of ways and horrendous of reasons. And yes, of course, there's going to be opportunists in there. You know what I mean? Just because you're a refugee doesn't suddenly make you a really nice person. There's always going to be the proverbial in any group and any situation. But the majority are 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 decent people. Yeah, decent, decent people. And and Karen, what would you say to people listening who may be considering going down this route? I would encourage them 
to know that it is morally <laughs> to say that as a word. And I say that to encourage people, not judge people. Morally, it is just the right thing to do. Look at the state of our world. Look at the genocide in Gaza. Look at the humanitarian crisis that is in Ukraine. Look at what is happening in our world. And if we don't, if we who have the privilege and the opportunity to stand up and do right by others, then what, what is the point? Yeah, so like can... really tune in, tune into that vibe and turn on that button in ourselves and go with that. Cause and reach out. Considering it, it means you know in your heart that it's Okay, right I'm, I'm unfortunately, then, I've just looked at the clock. I'm way over on time. Angie, can I give okay. the last word uh, to you? What was your message yesterday to the politicians at Leinster House? It was to mind the gaps around this 90 days for people. It's making people homeless and we want them to be well aware of that, that we're seeing that every day, that we need to we need to take care of the people who are vulnerable and need protection, who are falling outside of any system, who aren't suitable to go into host accommodation or who just need a little bit of extra care. And the other was that we extend the accommodation recognition, recognition payment, the 800 euro that's paid to host that we extend that to people who are currently uh, have status in Ireland but trapped in direct provision. Where we all know there's not many, there's very few onward pathways. The rental market is really under pressure. There's very few houses for people. So let's uh, let's get some of the six thousand people who have status who haven't managed to move out of direct provision. Let's make hosting an option for them That's too. Good point. Good point. Listen, I, 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 it's an issue I know we will return to. But ladies, thank you both. You did amazing work. Uh, and thank you both for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks so much. Good morning. Bye bye. Angie Gaff, CEO of the Helping Irish Hosts and also Karen O'Donoghue, along with her family, have been hosting Ukrainian families here in Cork. A lot of people reacting to my interview with Angie Gaff of Helping Irish Hosts and Karen O'Donoghue, who is a Cork family hosting a Ukrainian since the very start of the war. And a lot of people saying well done to them, including this one saying fair play to Karen. I have so many friends in the Red Baron Centre, ordinary, everyday families. Um, good on her. Uh, she will know what I am talking uh, about. And a lot of people saying, well done to uh, Karen. She sounds absolutely amazing. Brendan's in for Moy and he's got a similar story to share with us. Good morning to you, Brendan. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. You're also hosting. It's, it's one Ukrainian family, but there's seven of them. Seven of them. Yeah, I have them nearly two years now. And it's working fine. It works grand. I built a second kitchen in the house. I have a very large house. Okay. Um, it is very large. So, like, it, it, they're not impeding me at all. But they're very nice. I have three generations. I have a grandmother. I have a um, and husband. And I have four boys. I'm, I'm fairly near the town, so it's very convenient for them because they can walk everywhere. And the mother and husband are working. And the four boys are at school. Now, obviously, I don't charge them anything. But... Uh, I was paying all the, um, the the heating and the electricity, but in the last few months they volunteered without asking them. They came in and they gave me two hundred a month. No, the car, my bill would be in the winter about eight hundred a month, but that's fine. I, don't, I have no problem that way. But um, no, it works grand. It's grand. And why? Why? Uh, uh, and they're with you two years, so they these were one of the first yeah. families to arrive. Yeah, yeah, they came on the fourteenth of March, uh, two thousand and twenty. 
just at the beginning, uh, the beginning of the yeah, outbreak uh, yeah. of the war. What, yeah, pro- what prompted you to consider well, I hosting? Felt that, I felt it was unjust for me. Like, I have a very large house, and I'm only living there part-time. And it's, it's in very good condition, actually. But um, the thing is, I felt like that was, uh, you know, it was a little bit of abuse of, uh, of um, ownership sort of thing without... You know, when I felt their plight, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they've integrated well into the local community? Oh, yeah, they're brilliant. They're, the, the mother is, um, she's very, very good. She's in the Ecumenical um, Choir. Okay. And uh, she has a son and he's very, very musical, boys. Very musical. He's getting trained from Ukraine. And I think the people, she asked me the other day, would it be all right if they put a piano in the house? I said, no problem. Because the people, the local people, are donating a piano to him. Great, great. And as is it, um, had you been living on your own in the house, Brendan? I, partly, like I live between, I live between from Ireland more, you know. But yeah. I, it's an old family house, like it is. It is large, like there's seven showers and seven and three. Wow, wow. Have they have they almost become like an extended family? Well, they're fine, like, you know, they're yeah. grand. I mean, I, as I say, they're there and I'm around and I, I, I you know, walk away to them. But I don't, I, it works grand because yeah. I don't have that much communication with them, you know. Do, do you think at the end of the war they will go back? I don't think, they, I, I'm not quite sure. I never ask them that. Do but you I not? Okay. But well, the only thing I, the only thing now is it doesn't peeve me. But, um. At the start, I was getting nothing, which I didn't want anything. Then we got 400. Now we get 800 from the government. Yeah. The is, if I had one, I'd get the same as if yeah, I had Yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard others say that as well. It does. I'm not. Look, look, I'm not making an issue out of it. Yeah, but it, would help to, it helps to cover costs. You know what I mean? That it, it does help to cover costs, but it does seem... Well, it covers the energy costs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been in the second kitchen as well, probably. Well done, well done. And would you encourage others to consider it if they had a spare room? Well, it, it all depends on circumstances, you know. Yeah. But I, I think it could get a bit frustrating uh, if you were sharing a kitchen, you know. Um, no, it wouldn't get frustrated with me. Mm. But I mean, if if you had a, a family and like you have another family imposing, like, you know, and, you know, if there's too much congestion in one kitchen... I could see it becoming a little bit... Yeah, there are. Well, in fairness to, to both Angie and Karen, who we spoke with, they do say there are challenges and there are times where it all gets yeah. a little bit too much. But it's a bit yeah, like... Yeah, but there's not, there's not much challenges for me. Well done. Well done. OK, listen, thank you for that. And uh, um, yeah. good, good luck. It's a, it's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to do. Yeah. Look no after problem. yourself. Thanks a million. That's Brendan in uh, from Moy. And uh, somebody uh, had a question for Karen, but unfortunately Karen was gone off the line, uh, saying, would you ask Karen, what about... About the crisis at home with them taking with them having so many properties uh, why not house the Irish I suppose and Karen's answer I take it would be that uh, there's nobody Irish fleeing war she's doing it because of the situation that the Ukrainians are uh, fleeing 0818103103 can I just on St Bridget's Day somebody says is it St St Bridget St Bridget I can't, I, I, I'm, I'm getting this wrong now. Is it Bridget with ending with the D or Bridget with the T? It always confuses me, said C, said Sue. I, yeah, I, 
I always say St. Bridget with a T, but it is St. Bridget Id. It should be Id, shouldn't it? Uh, the correct is St. Bridget. I always say St. Bridget. I don't know why. And I think it varies on the spelling uh, as well. But I think people know uh, what we are talking about. Pat and Malik said, did any listeners put a white cloth out last night on the eve of St. Bridget's Day? It's a lovely old custom to do, said Pat and Malik. I actually did. I remembered it uh, last night. It's been many years since I, I'd, I'd forgotten about it, but I did remember it uh, last night. And someone else, Tom and Fomoy says, St. Bridget's is the start of new life and the end of the dark. It's kind of, for some, it's the, the first day of uh, spring. 0818103103. On the uh, AIB and the checkbook uh, issue, um, somebody received a new checkbook from AIB, uh, ordered it, and this com- they're coming from the UK. Isn't that great for the Irish economy? Uh, yeah, well, that- uh, all I know is that AIB said that their old supplier uh, went into administration so they had to get a new supplier. I don't know. Are there Irish companies that make checkbooks? I have no way of knowing and, and I'm assuming that they looked at the cost and all of that but somebody said that the new checkbooks are coming from the UK. I think that's partially what the delay seems to be even though AIB say that it has been sorted out now and people should start to receive their uh, checkbooks. Now a number of people in on uh, rubbish and bin collection and these letters that are coming out from the council asking people to prove how they get their bins uh, collected. PJ said, I take my rubbish to a service where I pay, for example, it's five euro for a black refuge bag uh, and then they take my bag of rubbish. But when I've asked for a receipt, the service say, we don't issue receipts. They say, we take your car, a copy of your car registration number. But in the last few weeks, I've changed my car. So where is my uh, proof? Um, yeah, I thought that all of those companies were were forced by law to give receipts. We'll, we'll try and find out a little bit more about that. But I suppose your your evidence will be there in that your car reg will have shown up, even the old car reg, and you can prove that you had that old car reg and then you switched over to a new one. So the, so the evidence is there. But I thought by law those companies had to issue receipts. Let, let, let us look into uh, that one uh, and we'll get back to you on it. Uh, Ger says, if you're walking or out driving, you will see rubbish in all of our dish, ditches. Ger reckons there's one way to sort this out for once and for all. Uh, what they could have done when they introduced the property tax, they could have included a little bit extra when they charge us on the property tax and get our bins collected as well. That would solve the problem. Uh, Jara says, I do I do go out and pick up litter around my community but I would be more than happy to pay a bit more for the bin collection that would in, for the property tax that would include a bin uh, collection. I, th- I feel that it was a missed uh, opportunity and go back to the old days when the council it was a free service when the, the council operated the bin uh, charges. There was no charges when they operated the bins. Uh, they were they, at once upon a time, they collected everybody's bins and it was uh, free. And we did talk about when they privatised bin collection, we did talk about at the time people worrying, would we see more rubbish being uh, dumped, that if it was free, we possibly wouldn't see as much of the fly tipping uh, for sure. But then somebody out and about driving in their car who just rolls down the window and throws out the coffee cup, that's got nothing to do with bin collection. That's just got to do with people being totally and absolutely irresponsible. And a lot of that rubbish jar that you're seeing in ditches is not people bringing their domestic rubbish with them. It's people out on walks just not bringing their rubbish home with them or people out on drives. PJ says, I take my rubbish to, uh, I've done that one already. Please don't call out my name, Patricia, uh, but listening to the councillor about illegal dumping, driving over the bridge in Mallow is such an eyesore 
the council can see it as well as everybody uh, else. I don't know what area now you're actually uh, talking about, but obviously there's a lot of rubbish uh, dumped there. And Mag says, hi, I'm just out on a break, so I don't know whether you this question has been answered or not. It's to do with my dad. My dad uses my bin or my sister's bin as he lives on his own and it wouldn't be worth him paying for a full bin, bin service. The most he'd have per week would be a white swing bin full of rubbish, which I collect and take and put into my bin or my sister does it. We're four minutes drive apart, but it, there are different addresses. Can I ring the council and tell him and tell them that he's using my bin? He's 82, going through treatment at the moment and he gets quite jumpy and worried about things like this. I want to put his mind at ease. Well, actually, I did put that exact scenario uh, to uh, Noel and Noel said, absolutely, if your dad was selected to get one of these letters, it would be very easy to prove that his daughters are coming collect the rubbish. So tell him he's absolutely nothing to uh, worry about. Uh, morning, Patricia. More black bags have been dumped at that very same place in Bottom Town that you spoke about where the rubbish was dumped on Christmas week. I passed through yesterday. That's shocking. That's a North Cork listener. And that's the point that Noel made that when the council go out and pick it up, you get people saying, I sure I'll dump it there. The council will be out in a week or two and they'll pick it up. It's shocking. It's just shocking. John from uh, Glamworth has a suggestion. He says, what if, no, not everyone's going to be happy with this. John says, what if every single item in the supermarket increased by five cent? And he says, I do know there's a cost of living crisis at the moment, but if everything went up by five cent and then out of that funding, everyone would get a free bin collection. People are currently paying are saving the bin. People who are currently paying would then save on their bin charges while the others who are not paying at the moment they would be uh, caught. If we had a free bin service surely there would be no need for dumping. Love your programme. Thank you. Bill says um, this is Skibbereen Bypass Walk. He said there's a walk in Skibbereen on the bypass that many people use. He said however friends and relatives of Bill that used to walk there very very often now say they will no longer use that walk. Why? Because of dog fouling. What's most upsetting is the Coke Foundation is located quite near that walkway. And Bill said yesterday a lady was out with a person in a wheelchair and the wheelchair went right through all of the dog dirt. It was all over the wheelchair. Very upsetting to uh, see. Can something be done about dog walkers not picking up after their dog dirt? Yeah, that's just, yeah. An ongoing saga, Bill, can I say, that we often discuss on this programme. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. Rota Industries Limited in North Cork. They're looking for a service engineer, full-time position. CVs, please, to julie at rota.ie. Industrial electricians are wanted for the Ringeskiddy area. CVs to tim at hamiltonfrench.com. A childbinder is wanted for a two-year-old and three school-going children in the Liscarrel area. School drop-offs and pick-ups uh, will be necessary. 87 and a teleporter driver that's wanted for a construction project in the Bishopstown Waterfall area. 087 Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. It's 50527. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Today on C103. Now, last Tuesday night, the television programme Upfront with Katie Hannan looked at Ireland's approach to care of the elderly, with the majority of the studio audience very much in favour of older people staying in their own homes for as long as possible. Tom Quinlan who grew up in the Mitchellstown area decided to organise care for his own mother and he joins me to share what he sees as an affordable solution by telling us about his own experience. Good morning to you Tom. Good morning Patricia, how are you today? I'm very well thank you and and out of your own experience you've actually set up your own company which we'll talk about in a moment but I suppose we need to go back to 2013 uh, when your wonderful late mother Anne became unwell. What was the family faced with when it came to her being discharged from hospital? Yes, well Patricia back then the discharge coordinator gave us two choices. Um, she recommended either a nursing home or a private visiting care service. And around that time, my parents, Ronnie, after celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. So the last thing we wanted to do was to part them. So we definitely didn't want to go down the nursing home route. We wanted to keep both my mom and dad together at home. Um, so I made inquiries then of the private visiting care agencies and quickly realised that it was going to be way outside my budget to be able to afford that on an ongoing basis. Um, so, Patricia, I had to get creative and um, I got in contact with my friend in Poland and I explained my predicament to her and she helped me to find a lovely lady called Lena. And Lena came over to us in October 2013 and took care of my mom, lived with us and was there morning, afternoon, evening, taking care of my mom and stayed with us until my mom passed away in April 2014. And, you know, it was a wonderful um, experience and it was um, a great, you know, sense of satisfaction and peace of mind that we were able to keep my mom at home up till the very end. And so from that experience, it gave me the inspiration 
to see, you know, could I organize this service for more families? Because obviously, you know, we have an aging population. Like that was the key thing that came across in the Katie Hannon program that, um, you know, Ireland is one of the, the, the fastest aging populations in Europe. Yeah, and we're living and, longer. You know, we have to make we're, yeah, we're living longer, which is fantastic. I mean, it's, you know, that's got to be celebrated. But the fact that we are living longer and there will be more people living to an older age, therefore we need to plan for it. Yes, absolutely, Patricia. And to be able to stay in your own home is nearly everybody's, you know, wish, you know, coming to the end of their lives. They want to be able to stay in their own home, in their familiar environment, where they're close to their family and their friends. And, you know, they can live as normal a life as they can in their own community. And your your idea is based on your knowledge of placing au pairs with families. And, you know, we, we place au pairs very successfully with families to look after children. So it's just, it's flipping that to the other end of the age group, isn't it? It's just placing people who look after older people rather than looking after children. It's the same model. Yeah, yeah, basically it is, Patricia. And, you know, obviously it works very well when you have somebody who's living. Um, so you have that, you know, extra stability, you have that extra commitment um, that you have when someone is living in the in the home rather than that somebody who's just coming, doing their few hours and is gone again. So, as you said, it works um, very well. It's tried and tested um, in the care of children. And over the last 10 years, we've proven that it works very well um, when it comes to the care of the elderly. And I suppose one one important point to make as well, Patricia, is like all of our carers, they're all experienced carers. So okay. at the very minimum, they need to have one year's caring experience. A lot of our carers will have more than three years caring experience. And they're all police checked in their home country. They're guard vetted, they're reference checked by us. And we provide them with ongoing training and support right throughout the placement. And as well as that, you know, we want to make sure that everything is secure um, for the family as well, who's, you know, dealing with the care. So we provide the employment contract that the family will have between themselves and the care. And we'll provide, you know, um, information about organising payroll to make sure everything is done properly. And when everything is done properly, then, Patricia, you know, the, the great thing about it is the government is giving people up to 40 percent tax relief on the cost of home care. And that's by filling in the HK1 form, and that's a revenue form. So if an elderly person is incapacitated, i.e. incapable of caring for themselves, you know, the family can submit a HK1 form uh, and they can get tax relief of up to 40% on the cost of home care. And a lot of people don't realise that, but that's a great way of making it, you know, a lot more affordable for families. Yeah, and, and you know, while it's all about making sure that the older person is, is well looked after, and I can understand, I fully understand that, but you also need to make sure that the carer who is coming from, they're, they're all overseas. Are they all of the carers, Tom, that come? Or do yeah, you have, virtually yeah. all, virtually all. Yeah, but like you, need, you need to make in, sure that they're looked after as well. I mean, you don't want a situation where they would be abused in the job that they're doing. That's it. That's it. And, you know, while we do advertise in Ireland, not so many people want to take up a job as a living care who, who are already, you know, settled and, and established in the country. So it's a very attractive proposition for somebody who's in their home country because it's a package of accommodation, food and a reasonable salary. So um, we were able to attract really good carers from all across Eastern and Southern Europe who are very happy with these working conditions. And because they're living in, 
they don't have to pay high rent. They don't have to pay, you know, you know, for for um, for food. And so they're able to save nearly all of their salary, which makes it a very attractive proposition from the carer's perspective. And when you offer some something to somebody that's very attractive, it means then you're going to attract high caliber people and then they're more likely to stay longer and be more, you know, dependable. Okay, and have you matched many families since your your company, which is AL Home Care, Affordable Living Home Care? Um, since you set up the company, how many families have you matched? Well over a thousand, Patricia. Wow! And we've nearly we've nearly three hundred um, placements running in the country at the moment. So, like, it's definitely proven itself as you know a viable alternative to a nursing home and to a private visiting care service and you know we're placing about 40 carers every month and so it's working very well and because it's what we specialize in you know we've really you know refined the service we've refined the support for families the support for carers so that at this stage you know we're we're working approximately a 90 percent success rate. That, that that's incredible. And when you know, sadly, as you you say, your your mum uh, passed away the the following year. Uh, what happened to Lena then? Did she go to another family? Did she go back home? What happens? Yeah, well, yeah, actually, Lena did stay with us, and she continued on working for Ale Home Care um, for a number of years. And then she actually um, went back home. Obviously, she was going back and ho- back back and forth home to Poland and her own husband wasn't um, so well. So she took a, an extended break from us and was taking care of her own husband. Um, but, you know, it was great to keep that link with Lena because basically she was, you know, the inspiration for yeah. AI home care in the very, very first day. Yeah, yeah. And and is that what happens in, in many cases when the person who's been cared for passes away? Do you find an alternative home for the person then or what happens? Yeah, that's it. That's it, Patricia. So like the vast majority of our carers are career carers. You know, this is what they want to do. They enjoy the job. They get a lot of job satisfaction from it. And, you know, they don't want to do something different. So it's usually an ongoing relationship that we'll have with the carers so that once one placement comes to an end, we'd find another placement for them. And, you know, over time, then they're gaining experience. They're dealing with different um, conditions. And they're also experiencing different parts of Ireland. So from the carer's perspective, it's a very interesting job. Okay, and you've placed families all over the country then? Yeah, um, all over the country. Since we started, we've been placing all over the country and in cities, in towns, in villages, in the countryside. So wherever the placement is, um, we're normally able to place. Okay, and I, and I take it with the living carer, if they if they're living with a family for, for or living with the person they're looking after for a number of years, I imagine great friendships have formed. Yes, yeah, definitely. You know, not only with the elderly person themselves, but with the family and with you know people in the neighbourhood. So yeah, the carers, you know, really do settle in, and we've often seen carers, you know, really, really, you know, upset and sad when their placement ends, you know, when their client passes away. And, you know, it's it's obviously, it's not just the job, you know, obviously they're becoming, you know, almost like a member of the family yeah. and they feel a strong connection with their client because they're living with that person over an extended period of time. Okay, well, it certainly is an alternative to nursing home care. And we know when it comes to home care packages, how many people are waiting uh, for home care packages. So it is, if people can afford it, it certainly is... Uh, 
an alternative uh, to uh, to uh, to nursing homes. And you know, as that program, and I take it you watched that program the other night, uh, Tom. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent of the the people speaking on that program, people want to stay at home for as long as possible. Yeah, that's it. So it's all it's coming down the road to all of us, Patricia. It is, it and is. you know. That's what we want. As you said, we want to be able to stay at home. OK. All right, listen, well done. And people can check you out on AL Home Care. Is it .ie you are? .ie, .ie. Patricia. And okay. thanks again for having me on well, this morning. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's great to, to share your, your, your thoughts and, um, and to let people know that it's there because I don't know how many people know uh, if it's there or not. Listen, Tom, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks a million, Patricia. Good morning. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Tom uh, Quinlan there, uh, a native of Mitchellstown with his company, just offering an alternative to nursing home uh, care. 0818 I don't know how many people watched that uh, programme uh, with Katie uh, Hannan. It, it really was to see, I think to see again, it's all the, those type of programmes uh, always give a chance for carers to tell their story because I'm always conscious that a lot of carers will be listening to this programme and many carers don't get the chance uh, to tell their story because they're at home caring uh, full time but you could see the frustrations very much coming out from family members who were looking after either you know ageing parents or a spouse and waiting and trying desperately to get some kind of help from the HSE through a home care package and while they've been sanctioned for a home care package they've been told yes you're entitled to so many hours per week but sadly we can't provide it because we can't get the workers. And for this week's Gather File we are going to Bandon where I'm joined by Sergeant Rory Gunn. Uh, good morning to you, Rory. Good morning. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, we want you want to start with um, a car that was stolen in Charleville. Now, firstly, it's been found, but you just want to have a general chat around stealing of cars. Yeah, um, it's something that we've just uh, seen a bit of an increase in um, since the start of the year. Um, there's been incidents in Mallow, Charleville, uh, Butterbent, um um, around the northern areas there and um, it's just I suppose again it's an awareness thing um, making people um, conscious of of security around their vehicles um, now some of the incidents actually um, were connected with the cold weather snap uh, and uh, uh, there was some opportunist moments where people were actually out and they were running their cars um, to, to heat them up uh, in the mornings, and um, that was the moment in which um, they were actually taken. Uh, so I suppose just for people to be aware that um, there's there's uh, uh, incidents and and moments with the cold weather snaps that um, that people are are constantly watching, and um, unfortunately uh, these uh, these incidents with the car theft arose in those occasions. Um, people with Japanese Imported vehicles, um, they don't have immobilizers, or uh, uh, certain categories of them don't have immobilizers, and they are often then targets um, for for the car thieves. So, um, so people and owners of those specific vehicles, and I suppose they probably know it themselves, uh, just that they should be vigilant. Uh, yeah, with, there was a security. run. There was a run on those um, Japanese cars without the immobilizers. I remember. I remember talking with a, a few people who, whose cars uh, were taken. And back, I think before it got a lot of publicity, there was many people didn't realize that there wasn't an immobilizer. Uh, what, yeah. what do you say to somebody who has one of those Japanese cars? What can they do to make their car more secure? Well, I mean, they just uh, um, make sure first of all that they're that they're properly locked, 
um, uh, and uh, and in the event, if, I mean, if they wanted to, um, uh, uh, I know that there's um, uh, certain tracking devices. Um, I know little uh, Apple uh, pods and stuff like that that can be used. I mean, if that's something that they think is appropriate, um, well, I mean, we'd always uh, we would always always advocate for um, CCTV um, if people uh, um, wanted to to have a camera uh, to capture. Um, the, the area where the vehicle is parked. Uh, 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 often overt signs of security are better in these situations so that um, people will, will see that uh, uh, there's an additional layer of security uh, uh, around the vehicle. Yeah, and I've started to notice people are put, putting it up on uh, social media uh, where they will catch on CCTV and somebody's door, you know, front door. Uh, you can see, in the main, they look like young guys going around just checking, going around housing estates, just checking to see which car is unlocked. It's surprising the number of people who are still not locking their car. Even They think, I think, when it's parked in the driveway of their house, it's somehow secure because it's in the yeah. driveway of the house. But even in the driveway of your house, you need to keep your car locked at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been instances where car keys have actually been left in the vehicles as well. Um, so uh, it, it, there's an awful lot of personal responsibility that, that uh, comes into play here. Um, and uh, it is incumbent on, on car owners to make sure that their vehicles are secured at night um, and through the day. Um, but there have been uh, um, there have been spates of of tests from cars. Um, there was a recent uh, uh, incident in in Riverstick area um, the morning of the nineteenth. Um, there was individuals they were out and about, and again, as you said, Patricia, they're literally just driving to places. They're checking to see what vehicles are open, and unfortunately, there's. Um, they are finding um, vehicles that, that continue to be left open um, and it's a bit like low-hanging fruit for them really Yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, and that will continue to draw people into areas Okay. Um, so. and it makes it worth their while to come in um, now on that instance actually it was um, there was good work done by the, the Kinsale Police and there was one individual arrested before the courts um, so but it, it really it's it, the, the attention is on the prevention more so than... Yeah, um, keep, keep your cars locked um, at, at all times. Even if it's only a few minutes, you're pulling up to the driveway and you're running into the house uh, to get something. It's it, it's those few minutes where the opportunistic theft can yeah, happen. Yeah, unfortunately, we have seen that. Um, um, and just, again, for people to maybe do periodic checks of their CCTV, any anyone that does have it, uh, it's always very useful for us in follow-up investigations. Okay. Um, uh, okay. And yep. and we move from cars to an Ivor Williams horse box trailer. Yeah. So um, this is reported as being taken taken just at the end of um, of January and the twenty ninth um, between the twenty ninth and the thirtieth. So uh, I suppose a lot of people would be familiar with those Ivor Williams uh, horse box trailers. Um, this one. Um, it's it's a twin axle one, so uh, you know you'll see two wheels on either side. Uh, and what's distinctive, a uh, um, couple of distinctive features in relation to this particular horse box is that the the left hand mud guards are missing, um, and there's also uh, the two back upper doors of the horse box are, are um, they're also missing. And there was a BS was sprayed on the inside of the roof of the horse box. Um, 
and uh, that was a, a a marking that was put on by the owners. Okay, so, so that, that will make it stand out. Yeah, now look, I suppose we'd be conscious that uh, anyone that did take it may well try to disguise markings, but look, it could be a case that there's fresh paint or there's fresh, uh, you know, covering or something along those lines. Um, so just... Uh, keep a look you know, And that was, that was out, only yeah. this week? That was only... Yeah, 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 yeah. That was only reported to us there just a couple of days ago. Okay. In, in the waterfall area. Um, so, uh, but these things, they, I mean, they're, they're quite often... Um, they're, they're taken for resale. Um, yeah. So it, it may well appear somewhere else. Okay. Now, this Friday, no, Friday week, tomorrow week, is going to be Disability Parking Bay Awareness Day. And, and well done for having one of these uh, awareness days. Uh, what will happen on the day? Well, it's, it's, I suppose, first of all, there's an element of publicity about this just to um, bring people's awareness uh, um, of the difficulties people um, uh, who, um, who legitimately need to use the disability parking base base uh, on a daily basis um, so um, so we've decided here in um, in the Bandon community engagement area which covers Bandon um, Clonakilty and and Bantry that it would be a day where I suppose particular attention would be paid to the disability base um, it's not a um, it's not with the intention of issuing as many fines as we can. It's really just to engage with people um, in the event that we see someone who is using a disability bay and um, and using a graduated response or approach to bringing the, the issue to their attention. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we did a rough count ourselves um, um, in, in Bandon and uh, with shopping centres in various bays around the place, there's approximately, you know, it's in the high 40s. Wow, that's that's really good for a town. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the majority of them would be, of course, attributed to the shopping areas. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it's still... Um, it's still good. It's still, it's it's still good. Still, but this yeah. uh, this argument, uh, Rory, you know, if you if you challenge somebody and say, you know, what are you doing parking in, in a disabled parking bay? Oh, I was only going into the chemist for a few minutes, so I wasn't going to be too long. But those few minutes could be exactly the few minutes when somebody who is a wheelchair user who can only use those parking bays because they're extra wide, so you can get the wheelchair out that person might be passing just for those few minutes when you've taken up their bay, their parking space. It's so totally, frustrating. Totally. And actually, there's, there's a hashtag, uh, a hashtag that's used, um, has been used in various Garda operations in the past, and it's the hashtag back in five minutes. Um, yeah. And it's just this, uh, you know, this line that, that's uh, churned out by people um, to think that in some way they, uh, they've, have a legitimate reason for for using the bay, um, and you are absolutely right, Patricia. Um, I had an experience myself when I was off duty, and I saw an individual who was parked in a space, and I saw a lady passing with a disability sticker, and she had to park at the other end of a car park, um, and she took her crutches out and, uh. and and walked over to the shop 
uh, no, that individual did actually in, end up getting uh, a fixed charge notice. Um, but um, and uh, rightly it, it so, was, I have to say, I have to say, I've, I've no sympathy. I have absolutely no sympathy. I've spoken with people, Rory, over the years who've who've told us uh, not now in Bandon because Bandon do, does seem to have a lot of parking bays, but some towns don't have as many uh, parking bays, and there mightn't be as many parking bays uh, in a particular area where somebody with a disability needs to go, maybe to a doctor or a dentist or, or sh- a particular yeah. shop or. And I, I've heard, I've spoken with people who've said I had to come home and I had to go back out again in the afternoon because I was driving around and and whoever had parked in the in the in the bay it wasn't moving. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's not as easy. I mean, okay, it might be inconvenient for you or I to be further away from the the door to the shop when the weather might be a bit inclement, but at least we can use our legs and and get in out of the rain. Yeah. When you know, particularly people in wheelchairs, it's just so so unfair. So well done on doing that, yeah. uh, and it's uh, Friday week. And now the West Cork Justice Project recruitment. Tell me, this is to do with Faroiga. Yeah. So um, these are our youth projects um, that they've been established in 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 Brandon and Kinsale for some time, but. Um, the, the service has been expanded, and um, and Froga are now uh, recruiting for youth workers. Um, and um, the, there's uh, Froga.ie um, is actually the website where the the, the full details of the um, of the jobs are are advertised. Um, but I mean, there's positions in Clonakilty, in Skibbereen, um, in Bantry, and McCroom, and um, it's. It's a it's a great um, initiative. Um, it it tries to uh, um, identify and assist young people who, uh, at an early intervention stage, who you know just might be veering a little bit um, off um, off course, and they they work with these with these young people, Brilliant. Um, kind of ages from twelve upwards. Um, and um, and yeah, so it's it's fantastic news that the service has been expanded for uh, you know across West Cork, um, and um, uh, and they are uh, they're actively recruiting now um, for um, for a range of of, of personnel, um, and they're some of the towns Clonakilty, Skibreen, Bandon, uh, Bantry, and McCroom um, that they're they're. Uh, uh, looking for people at the moment. Okay, okay, and then just one final piece, just to remind people uh, the re- the closing date for the guard the recruitment that's fast approaching. Yeah, so um, the three pm on the eighth of February, which is um, tomorrow week, um, I believe, um, is the last day to have your application in if you are interested in becoming uh, a guard and joining and they've, the they've they've increased the age haven't they <laughs> 35 yeah, to they 50 have. yeah 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 so um it's open to a, a whole new range of people that um that may now be interested um would you yeah. encourage people as a career choice yeah i it's it's one of these things that i think um it said it's 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 a tough job but there are plenty of rewards to be got out of it well said. Um, yeah, so um, it, there's just a level of kind of awareness that would be required, uh, and I suppose you educate yourself um, before you make the decision. Okay. But, um, but if you're thinking about it, please note uh, the 8th of February is the closing date for the current Garda recruitment. Okay, yeah, Rory. And that's public.
public jobs that are you they'll, they'll get all the information on okay that. thank you for that Rory have a lovely week and thanks thank for joining you. us bye bye that is uh, Sergeant Rory Gunn uh, joining us at Abandoned Garda Station as we know the the National Nationwide Money Back Scheme this is for your plastic drink bottles and your aluminium cans that comes into effect as and from uh, today and it's encouraging uh, all of us to return our used drink containers so then they could go on to be successfully recycled into other containers as and from today under the deposit return scheme as it's called you will be uh, charged an extra 15 cent on the smaller containers and the smaller cans and 25 cent on the larger ones I think it's over uh, half a litre and the idea is then when you bring them back but you must bring them back undamaged you will get your money back now it is being operated by a company a not-for-profit organisation called Return and we have finally secured somebody from Return to join us tomorrow on the programme we've been John Paul's been working on this for the last couple of weeks but I appreciate they are flat out on account of the scheme going live from today so they will be joining us tomorrow because we've had a number of people with uh, specific questions about this new deposit and return scheme we've been making a note of all of those questions and we'll put it to whoever is joining us from return tomorrow but if you have a question about the deposit return scheme which has gone live as and from today get the questions into John Paul and as I say hopefully we'll get answers for you tomorrow on the programme and Shane has been on by uh, WhatsApp to say that there's a small plane flying around McCroom he says it's been flying for hours every day he reckons for at least the past week now he said it's awfully noisy it's almost like it doesn't have an exhaust do you know if a car has a problem with the exhaust that kind of noise now Shane said when they first saw it, they thought, oh, that must be RT. And he thought maybe they were taking aerial footage for Bambi Thug's Eurovision entry, you know, maybe going to uh, their hometown to take aerial footage. That's what they thought they were doing. But they said, it can't be that because this, this plane is up every single day and has been and is up for a few hours just hovering around the McCroom area. Does it, Can anybody throw any light as to why that plane is flying in the McCroom area for the last uh, week? Does any Anybody know? Let us know. 0818 103 103. We've been talking about bins today on the programme and in particular that the council are writing to uh, people. I don't know how many letters are uh, going out, but they're writing to people and they're asking people to prove how they dispose of their household uh, waste. Somebody says, Patricia, I've seen people putting their domestic waste into the council bins in LEP. Yeah, you'll see that because we had somebody else on to say that they've spotted somebody at night going out when the bin go out. You know, a lot of people put their bins out at night, the night before collection. They're seeing one particular neighbour who's going from bin to bin putting her uh, rubbish into uh, other people's bins, which is crazy. But yet the council has always had a problem with that. It's one of the reason, reasons that the council has removed a lot of their bins out on the streets because people started doing that, putting their domestic rubbish uh, into it. Uh, so we all suffer then when there's less council bins out on the street. But yeah, that's not new, unfortunately. Hi, Patricia. We get we get what's called a holiday home account with KWD bins. It's for my mum and she only pays when they pick up the bins. Yeah, that's fine because once you can prove how you dispose of your rubbish, that's absolutely perfect. You don't have to have a weekly bin collection. You just have to show how you dispose of your uh, rubbish. And then Dan and there's somebody, Noel was on as well about this. Um, Noel was on about saying when will the RT scandals end? And Dan is being a bit more cryptic. He says, without being specific, 
specific here. Surely granting yourself or your friend a fake redundancy is fraudulent uh, should there be uh, prosecutions. And it's one, I, I think Noel sums it up, like when are we going to see and hear the end of the RTE uh, scandals? I couldn't believe when the latest one uh, came out. And this is to do what can only be described as a, a lucrative golden handshake. It's the former Chief Financial Officer, Breathe O'Keefe. Now, we all got to know Breathe O'Keefe because she was one of the ones who turned up at the Oireachtas Committee uh, meetings. But this, her sign-off was agreed uh, only with the Director General, D. Forbes. It didn't go to the RTE Executive Board. Now, the new uh, Director General is, of course, Kevin Backhurst. He said yesterday when he heard about it that he was shocked. He described it as a serious breach of procedure and he's vowed to ensure it'll never happen again. Now, we still haven't been told and there's no information as to how much Breda O'Keefe was paid when she left RTE and she left in 2020. We don't know what this payment deal is Uh, or how much it was. All we know is that it went against the broadcaster's own rules. It should have gone before the RTE executive board. Now, there was reports that it could have been worth anything up to €400,000. And uh, someone, I don't know who this was, somebody who won the papers today did a breakdown saying that if it was, if it is €400,000, that will work out at 2,500 people's television licence fee went to pay off Breda O'Brien when she decided to uh, leave. So when do we get to see the end of the the controversies? Because they just seem to be rolling out. And seemingly Kevin Backhurst has said there's still a question about a small number of individuals and their exit packages. So do I take it from that that Breda O'Keefe's isn't the only exit package that Kevin Backhurst is now looking into it. So while we all pay our TV licence, are being encouraged to pay our TV licence, we know there's a large proportion of people have opted not to uh, this year and then they await prosecution. Uh, So what are we paying our licence fee for? Are we paying it for these big redundancy uh, payments? Um, And then if we are, we're also now paying for reports that have to be commissioned to investigate these large redundancy uh, payments. And at the end of the day, who pays for the mistake? And will anyone pay pay for the mistake? Some people are, are feeling if it was fraudulent activity, should something be done? Only time will tell. 0818 103 103. And then Dan was on to say, Hi Patricia, I'm just wondering why C103 and indeed RTE are not covering the massive farmer protests throughout Europe. The EU and other governments are making farming food production nearly impossible with all the rules that some of them don't make any sense. People would want to support our farmers. There will be no food on the shelves. It's unreal that uh, food's taken so much for granted, says Donald. Well, I don't know if you've been listening to C103 News. We've been running it since, I know I heard the first bulletin I heard this morning at seven o'clock. I definitely uh, was hearing it. And John Paul said it's been running all morning. For example, we're, we've been talking on our news coverage this morning that the president of the Irish Farmers Association has said this evening's uh, demonstration is a show of solidarity with the farmers in Europe rather than a protest. Farmers in every county are expected to take to the roads between seven and nine this evening as farmers in Europe are protesting over what they say, exactly what Donald is saying, over-regulation and lack of pay. Uh, the Irish demonstrations were organised during an online meeting of the IFA 
Galway's National Council last uh, night. Uh, but they're adamant that their members don't intend to disrupt people uh, this evening. They're just doing a show of uh, support. And I did see on, when you're, when you're saying RT, you're not uh, covering it, I did see their Europe correspondent is uh, talking about what's going on in uh, Brussels at the European Parliament where farmers were throwing eggs and stones at the European Parliament. They even started fires near the building, setting off fireworks and uh, they were protesting uh, um, to press uh, a summit of European leaders to do more to help them, particularly with taxes and with uh, rising costs. And of course, I have seen a lot of commentary coming out from the French uh, farmers who I think produce the biggest amount of food uh, across uh, Europe. They've been protesting as well. So don't get me wrong to say we're not covering it because we certainly are and have been covering it and we certainly are covering it on our own news bulletin as well. 0818 103 103. Lines are open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See corkcoco.ie. Mallow Art Club are welcoming artist Cathy Tiernan to their West End Art Gallery uh, this evening. She has also had many solo exhibitions as well as displays at the Limerick City Gallery. She's also displayed at the Limerick Hunt Museum. Everyone's welcome to attend. Kicks off at 7.30 tonight. Admission is €5 for members and seven fifty for non-members. Kildallery Community Development, they're holding their lotto draw in the community office this afternoon at four. Their jackpot this this week is €12,200. Blarney District Historical Society, they will host Richard Forrest uh, this evening with an illustrated lecture entitled The Inn at Blarney, The History of the Castle Hotel. It's in Blarney Secondary School, eight o'clock and all are uh, welcome. And tomorrow Friday, Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony will present the funds raised from their Christmas lights display to their three nominated charities. This year's charities are the Mercy Hospital, the West Cork Cancer Connect and Co-Action in Dunmanway. Fundraising dance will be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway tomorrow night with dancing from 9.30 to Finbar Dennehy and family with special guest Teddy Crowley and admission to that particular dance is €10. Euro. And the Donnerail for All group, they've got a fundraising quiz night in Donnerail Golf Club tomorrow night, Friday. That starts at 8. Tables for €40. Euro and money raised will help fund the group throughout the year. Court Today on C103. With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, this uh, Friday and uh, Saturday, a man who we know sings from his soul who will be performing at the Cork Opera House with a limited number of tickets still available. I'm delighted to say uh, Tommy Fleming joins me in studio this afternoon in advance of those Cork uh, gigs. Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Tommy. Tommy. Good. I nearly said good morning, Patricia. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's, just it's always well. morning. And to you've me. got you've got your lovely wife, which is well. Hello, I Tina. Have she Hello, snuck in. She's <laughs> keeping all quiet there in the background. I was just saying, behind every good man is a there's, good woman. There's a brilliant woman. Yeah, and um, you rely on her a lot. Absolutely. Well, it's she she keeps the train on the tracks. That's it. That's it. That's um, it. And that's the only way to describe it. And at times, it can be a runaway train, um, and it's it's not an easy. It's not that it's not. I mean, I'm something I shouldn't be speaking for you. Um, it's not an easy. Go on. Oh, I will. I'll go on. It's uh, to try and manage all of this is not easy. I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, genuinely. And Tina keeps that absolutely together, keeps it running, 
and never ever is there a, a fault or a flaw in it. And so do you do you do all the bookings then, Tina? Do you do is there all so that? So I basically do everything. Move into the mic there a little bit. I do everything by the singing. Okay, and can you sing? No, no. Can you no. not at no. all? No. no. Do you not have a note? No, I wouldn't even attempt I wouldn't say you haven't a no. note. No, I don't. And I wouldn't even... <laughs> we've we've sang in a few sessions over <laughs> the years. It's more of a joint effort, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do what I do. Tommy's the creative side of it. He puts the show together and the music side of it. I deal with the administration side of it, the finance side of it, and that kind of thing, the bookings. So we kind of, from start to finish... You need mm. both things you going do, yeah. in the right direction. So you tell him where he needs to be and when he needs to be there and exactly. what time he needs to be there. Yeah. Now, the Opera House, is that a favourite of yours? Well, I do, I've been playing... How long have we been doing the Opera House? Um, well, over 20 years anyway. 20, over 20, yeah. My very first time in the Opera House, Patricia, was 1992 with Phil Coulter. I was 21. Oh, my God. Yeah, and... I mean, you can I can hear the people counting on their fingers. Yeah, Come no. on, ages. Um, I yeah, that was my first time in the, in the opera house, and I'll never forget it. Love Phil Coulter. Uh, and I got the um, I went down to sing the Leaving of Liverpool and the Old Triangle, and I got the words all wrong oh, no. on the Leaving of Liverpool. I'll never forget it. With nerves. With nerves, yeah, yeah. completely. And there isn't a day or night that I don't walk onto that stage in the opera house and remember my very first time stepping on that stage, and to think of. The amount of times I have now stepped onto that stage Since. and the amount of people that have come through those doors in those years. Um, it's it's one of my favourite venues. It's got nostalgia attached to it. It's got um, Cork people are brilliant. They've they've a brilliant way of telling you directly what they think without offending you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, I, that's what I love about it. And we've always, we've done, for years, haven't we, we've done two nights in Cork. Yeah, for I a long for time. the last 15 or 12 Cause years it's a anyway. Because it's a big venue. It's, it's a big it's venue, yeah. It's a big, big yeah. venue. And, and do you love people singing along with you? I do, actually. Um, it's funny. We were, when we were putting the show together um, early on, it was say September, October, and I was kind of, and I'd send the set list through to Tina and say, what do you think? And she'd come back. And this sometimes it can become a bone of contention because I, but I want to sing that. And Tina says, I mean, but who knows it? You know, that kind of thing. Mm. And we decided to put, and I'm going to actually sing one of those today for you. Okay. Um, one of the songs we put in in the first half was a very much a sing-along song. And I didn't think it would work. And it has worked brilliantly. It has worked. It just, for some reason... Where, play, where something is placed in a show makes the whole thing flow a lot, lot easier. But are there songs that you just have to perform every night? Because if somebody's going to Tommy Fleming in concert, they're going to expect to hear a particular song or a number of songs. Ah, there are, yeah. yeah. There's, you know, you have, you have Bright Blue Rose. Yeah. That's a definite Cork favourite because it's written by Jimmy. Um, the Contender, of course. Um there's the hard times, hard times you hard can't time. go without yeah. doing hard times. Um, there's all of those. There's the um, the um, Ellis Island, not Ellis Island, um, Isle of Hope. Um, there's all, and yet there's new songs that have gone in over the years that are now become old favourites. Okay, you know, once upon a time they weren't known, so a new a new song will become an old song eventually. Yeah, you know? that's it. That's and, it. Um, and, and Tina, are you? Do you sit in the audience? Where were you when? Well. I do a bit of everything. I'm, you might find me out front um, at the merchandise. You could find me in the audience. I could be doing. But do you watch the audience? Do you I, wa- I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I 
well I listen and make sure everything is sounding right and looking right and then when they usually by the time they get on the stage I can relax a little bit then um, because you're watching time and you're watching doors and you have to kind of make sure everything coordinates mm. together and everybody should be where they're supposed to be and once the show starts then it's a little bit easier but um, <laughs> I meet a lot of people you see you see a lot of the re- same regular faces yeah. year after year and I suppose it's lovely to go back and to get to know people in the different areas and I suppose that's what we missed for you know the three years really we were missing and now you go back and it's such a huge chunk that was taken out of your time and you meet them and have the chat and and you miss people as well from year and then they come back the next year and you think oh where were they and you get their story and it's good. It's a social side of it as well. Mm. And and we, we still have to encourage people to get back out there. I know, I know they, they run those ads on the t- on the TV about, you know, hello, a beautiful world. There's still people, there's still people traumatised by COVID. I think that cocooning was the one that yeah. just yeah. for so many people. They're still finding it hard to to go back out. We get emails all the time from people saying that they're bringing somebody to a show it's their first time out oh. since COVID. Mm. And these these are recent ones. And yeah. they're they're uneasy and just checking might be where they're sitting or what the situation might be or but there is loads of people this year in particular coming out for their first time. Mm. Well, and what a great thing to come out to a Tommy Fleming concert. I, or maybe it's an awful thing to come out. I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic <laughs> yeah. thing. But the one thing that I remember when we came back for the first time after COVID, um if there is an after COVID. I know. Um and remember, we would say we didn't see such a one tonight because we were so used to seeing certain faces over yeah, the years. Yeah, and you would spend the next few months wondering, and you you you, were, you didn't want to ask that question. Did they survive? Uh, did they survive? Oh. And were they okay? And then the next year, you came out and you seen them, oh. and there was this big, huge kind of almost. Oh, you're alive! Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, no. And even we went on holidays was the funniest one ever, and there's four of us that go on holidays every year together to a place, a small little village in Portugal. And Tina and I went on our own this year. And it was after, not this year, but the year after COVID. And the couple that normally come with us didn't come. And there was a guy in the restaurant, remember? And he was like, um, you're two friends. It was oh, almost like, are they yeah. okay? And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're fine. Yeah. You know, but that's the one thing I did notice <clears throat> on, the, on the coming back was, you know, wondering, you know, seeing the old faces and hoping to see the old faces. Mm. Um, and what's the, the brilliant part of all of that then was to see the old faces that brought new faces with them so there was full families coming yeah and that's a, that's a brilliant thing to see yeah uh, yeah. I have a, a sister of mine who's a huge fan of yours and she went to see you in, in Clamel and uh, she brought along a friend of hers who hadn't she yeah. had to persuade her to go along and she Drag said, along she said honest to God you'll enjoy it and you you gained a new fan uh, that night so it, which I, I was thrilled to hear you're in the uh, where, where are you with the tour are you in the middle of it I think we're in the middle of it we have two weekends to <coughs> done and we finish um, the 3rd of March ok so, so we have every weekend between now and that's a long run it's a long months. run but it's the 3rd of March we finish in Dublin and then we're taking a few months off which yeah. we haven't done in a long time. Well, we have. We had took them off from COVID, but we didn't take them off, really. We were kind of forced to take them off. Um, and this time, we're kind of... Sta- we're stepping back and reviewing and reevaluating and all of the things that you do and kind of, you know, deciding what's important and what's not important, mm-hmm. you know. 
Someone's just said, just to say, Tina is so nice to everyone that she meets. They're both stars. That's from Rose. Isn't that really sweet? Oh, that's that's really sweet. What can people expect in the opera house? Have, um, have you the orchestra? Have you band with the you? The band with strings, you? the whole yeah. lot are in with me. Um, what we're doing this time round is, because it's 30, I'm 34 years, so I would say getting away with it, um, We've gone back over along all of those looking at the most important songs that that we felt were representative of that. So it's very personal. It's very retrospective. Um, and it's how how would you describe it? You've watched it now a few times when, when I was putting it together. You're kind of I'm not getting this. Well, and then you've seen it. There's the usual favourites, right? So they're all there. And then there's a few surprises with tweaks with that everybody tweaks. will know yeah. and then there's yeah. plenty of sing-alongs and I think it's very this. I think this show is very um, uplifting you'll so come we, out of it happy I think yeah. um, we've done it now for two weekends and we've got great feedback from it so I think people will like it and enjoy it It's very much me saying thanks really for the 34 years that I've had thank God and I'll have a few more. Um, and it's very much kind of, this is what we've done. This is where it's co- This is where it's come from. This is where it's landed. And be it good, bad or indifferent. Um, and it's, it's not, it hasn't been a smooth road for 34 years, but no road is ever that smooth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the turns and the twists and the knocks have, have made the road ahead a lot easier because I know what to expect. I know the lessons from those twists and turns um, and it's you know I, it's, I'm, I'm very grateful for it and that's what I, this show I, and is. I love to hear Tina describe it as uplifting because I think with everything that's going on in the world we've yeah. never more needed a smile a smile yeah and mm. to walk out of something and go oh god I'm all the, I'm all the better for that so so you if if that's what you're achieving well well done Patricia in Formoy says hi Patricia uh, I saw Tommy in the church in Mitchiston a number of years ago really really uh, enjoyed it thank you uh, uh, what what's happening recording wise is there any, uh, um, any nothing plans at the there? moment I've been kind of put, I've been asked a few times would I ever do a live album um I have never done one have you not? No, never. I've done well, a lot of bits and pieces that we've taken from shows yeah. that I've put. I mean, we've done live albums, but it's a TV. If it came from a DVD kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've never kind of done the new concert. It was always a concept concert of, of a live album, be it Voice of Hope or A Journey Home or any of those. Um, but I've never actually done the in-concert album. Um, so I might do that at some point. I, I'm, not, I'm not in a race to get back into the studio. There's nothing... Kind of setting me on fire. Um, yeah. Something a young lad actually, a, a, a DJ approached me. Um, oh, it must be four months ago about doing it, two dance tracks. Um, I don't know. I'll I'll have a think about that one. I, it hasn't kind I've of become a TikTok craze. Oh God. <laughs> It's enough to try and deal with Instagram and the, say, the rest yeah, of it. You're not into the TikTok. I, I'm not, I, I, I tried could, it and I thought I, I haven't could got it. see you becoming a TikTok. Uh, <laughs> oh God. It sounds almost like you're you want to ease up a little bit. Um, ease up, yes. Um, not stop. Yeah, um, you never. I don't. I can't see you ever stopping. Can no, you, don't can you ever see him stopping, Tina? Well, I suppose it's it, this this tour. While we're saying we're two weeks into it, that's not really correct because Tommy's just back from two month tour of Australia. Yeah. So once he got back from that late November, he went straight into December gigs here, and we're gone since. So yeah, I think when he gets to the third March, that he will we'll need, need a to break. Step back. Yeah. Yeah. So 
six months would be Tommy's, I would say, quarter of being able to <laughs> leave it alone. And then he'd start to get edgy and itchy and all sorts of ideas would start to come up then and anything could come out of that. Yeah, yeah. So there's, yeah. There, there's and then Tina will say to me, what about the budget? And I'd see, my, Tina will always claim, I don't know what the word budget means. I see a target. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you, you sound like you're a good yin and yang then ah, yeah. you sort of Abs- rail it in absolutely not without a doubt I mean I could it's not that I could spend the Bank of England when it comes to a project I could um, I and I like in fairness I always come to you with the ideas and say this is what I'm thinking and you'd always say that sounds expensive um, and <laughs> everything sounds expensive but we figure it out yeah, yeah. Um, you know there's a lot of things kind of in the pipeline Um the touring aspect of it abroad, I'm absolutely going to pull back on, without yeah. a doubt. The Australia I, bit, while you love it, it's tough going. The, never again will I do that long. Yeah, never. it's uh, just too long. It's just too long. Um, yeah. somebody, I once said, I was talking to a friend of mine a few months ago, and he was on about it, and he says, you know, he said, what was it like? What was your, the place that you lived in? Like, I said, everything was lovely, gorgeous, and everything else. The luckiest man alive, but the loneliest man on the planet when I'm there. Yeah. And... That's do you know what I mean? It's not all, it's not all. Do you, did you go to Australia? I didn't go this time. No, no. it's no. our busy time here. Yeah, like leading into Christmas and yeah, yeah. the office is extra busy then because you have to kind of get all your advertising and PR set up and everything. And then we were missing Tommy for a lot of that, so you had to wait until he got back and then schedule all interviews around that. So that was all rushed and difficult. Mm. Whereas when you do that. We did that in 2023. You won't be doing it in 2023. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't really keep that. No, 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 I can't. Okay, so I was tired after it. So two nights in the Opera House, Friday and Saturday. uh, The booking office at the Opera House. There are tickets available for both uh, nights. Uh, Listen, it was an absolute pleasure, as always, to have you in studio. And and we always comment. Thank you. Well, we always comment on the fact that you're great. You've gotten into your Jeep so many times and driven down to us. Well, we could have done stuff over the phone, but you're you're unique in, in that as an artist. You always insist on coming and we really appreciate that well in fairness Patricia the, the radio stations over the years um, were the lifeblood for me they were, they were the you know you got into your car and you got in and you got the plug and and I just find that it's it's very easy to pick up a phone and do it. Yeah, that's to me that's lazy. And well done. I just well think done. it's better. Well, to others could learn from you, honey. Others could learn from you, thank Tommy you. Fleming, and his delightful wife Tina. We thank you both for joining us in studio. Good luck with the next two nights. Thank you so much. Cork today on C103 with McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. That's where we wrap it up for day. We're reminder tomorrow we are going and be talking about the deposit and return scheme so if you have any questions you can get them into us thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards with you for the afternoon talk to you tomorrow at 10 Cork Today on C103 with McCarthy Insurance Group proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie